and welcome to This is Good for My Therapy. Today we're going to be talking about the Oka crisis. Sarah and Sylvie will be joining us shortly. So the Oka crisis, are you guys excited? Yep. <laughs> Pumped? So uh, first, let me start off by saying I'm going to do my very best to get the pronunciation of all of the names right. But for some reason, my mouth is not linked to my brain. So what I hear in my head is not what comes out of my mouth. It happens when I sing. And I know this from karaoke. I hear the music. I hear what I want to sing. Like I hear it in my head and then it comes out of my mouth and then I hear it. And I'm like, that is not at all, like not at all accurate. But anyways, <laughs> I can assure you, I, it, I, I, my pronunciation is terrible. So I'm going to try. I'm just doing my best. Don't be mad. Just shake your head and say, oh, Sarah, that is not right. Yes. Yes. So we're going to take you guys back. We're going 32 years back to 1989. They still what ask. <laughs> what a what? What a wonderful year. That's all. They still ask, smoking or non, when you go to a restaurant. People are unironically rocking a mullet, man or woman. And straight up, Paula Abdul is top of the charts. And I have to ask. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. I got to ask, Nicole, were you alive? Yeah. Were, okay, was this the year you were born? No, I was three. Okay, I'm like, I know you're younger than me, but I cannot remember how much younger. Okay, so March, March 1989, sun is shining. The ocean has never been on fire. Like Yay! <laughs> planning meeting in a teeny tiny small town called Oka in southern Quebec. It's about 30 kilometers west of Montreal. The mayor announced plans to expand the local golf course. Crisis, you may wonder. How could the addition of the final nine holes of the local golf course possibly cause a crisis? Well, I do ask. <laughs> it actually started a little before 1989, uh, maybe way back. But for the sake of the story, we'll just have to go back to 1868. Oh, just a little bit. Okay. It's, it's like a hundred and a little bit. So that was one year after Confederation. And for those of us who don't have an, an encyclopedic memory of things, which I do not, my memory is like, what was that? The Confederation was when the existing three colonies were united into one federation called the Dominion of Canada. It included Canada, Nova Scotia, and New Brunswick. So one year after Confederation, the chief of the Oka Mohawk people, Joseph Onasakenrat, who actually attended the Petit Seminaire de Montreal, and studied for priesthood in 1860. He was actually, this guy was fluent in French and Mohawk and was a part of the Sulpician Seminary. Sulpician? I don't know. He, so one year after Confederation, the chief of the Mohawk people, who was this like well-respected person, he wrote a letter to the seminary claiming that the seminary was exploiting the indigenous people, intentionally keeping them impoverished and actually accusing them of skimming land that was reserved for Mohawk use by granting themselves sole ownership rights of about uh, nine square miles of, of land. And after that letter, nothing happened. Shocking. Surprising. He wrote, a, he, he wrote a strongly worded letter and they were like, noted. And then in 1869, Onasakenrat, 
gave the missionaries eight days to hand over the land. He's like, I'm not fucking around anymore. Give me back the nine square miles. And when they didn't, he attacked the seminary with a small force. Uh, after In 1869, after giving the missionaries eight days, they attacked with the small force, but no lives were lost. It was all very peaceful, and local authorities were called in, and they actually arrested the group of Mohawk. So, obviously, I from everything I can tell, they didn't like kill anybody. They didn't do anything. They were uh, arrested and released a couple of days later. Onasakin Rat went on to live for 11 more years. But it turns out he was right. And by 1956, the Mohawk were left with only six square kilometers from hmm. their original 165. You know, that track. So, just uh, in 1868, he's like, "Hey guys, I think you, I think you're taking away some of our land. I think you're you're skimming off the top." And then by 1956, they only had six of their square kilometers left. And then in 1959, the country. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> right. Just like a point, it wasn't just a halt. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah. Then. In 1959, the town approved the development of a private nine-hole golf course, the Club de Golf Doka. The Oka. I don't know how to say it. Sylvia, you could do it better? Club, uh, Club de Golf Doka. There you go. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. Uh, I try, but again, mouse head yeah, is not there. But uh, this golf club was bordering on a portion of disputed Mohawk land that included a century-old burial ground. Of course Uh it did. So the Mohawk filed suit against the development, but they were unsuccessful and the nine-hole golf course was built. In in 1977, the Kanesatake band filed an official land claim with the Federal Office of Native Claims regarding the land. And in 1986, that claim was rejected. Okay, so this brings us back now full circle to Paula Abdul, Rain Man, and Raiders of the Lost Ark in 1989. That's just the quick history of <laughs> the whole fuck yous. So then, March 1989, we're in the small Oka City Council meeting. The local mayor, Jean Ouellette, Jean, Jean Ouellette, uh, maybe, announced plans. Jean yeah, there you go. He's announcing plans to finish off the existing golf course. He would like to build the final nine holes. He presents it as an exciting development that will generate an initial $70,000 in revenue by selling the land to the golf club. And then the city could look forward to an additional million dollars over the next 35 years in rent. Sounds great. I mean, what could go wrong? Well, what he miscalculated. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I like where was, this is going thus far. It was... Uh, where the expanded parking facilities were going to be built. It turns out it was right over the Mohawk century-old burial ground. To add insult to injury, the Mohawk people weren't even consulted. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As you Again, can imagine, with the <laughs> this did not go over well with the Kana, Kana Sadake people, and they decided... No. To retaliate. Good. What did yeah. you do, Sarah? I want to fucking know what they did. Oh man, you're gonna. Are you sitting down? I'm lounging. Yes, I'm prone. They retaliated by setting up a peaceful blockade at the minor oh. access road to the cemetery. 
Oh. As if to say, fuck you. This is our cemetery, not your parking lot or whatever. Like, I'm not a doctor, but that's just kind of what it feels like. Anytime you have to say, if you were on the other side of the fuck you, this is a cemetery, not your parking lot. If you were on the parking lot side, you're a fucking monster. (laughs) I have to agree with you 100% there. Like, it's like, hmm, yeah. Like, none of it would be good, but it's not like they were saying, but we're building a children's hospital to save dying babies. They're like, but our parking lot for our golf course. Where are they going to park? Fuck you. Okay. Continue, Awesome. I am with you entirely. So at this point, media have gotten wind and they're adding their own influence to the situation. People are now aware that there is a roadblock barricade that the Mohawk are defending and it is impacting the development of the golf course. So tensions are rising because obviously the city would like this golf course developed. Reporters start describing the protesters as a warrior nation, which the protesters... you. Right? Fuck your face. Uh Uh-huh. Which the protesters at the barricade absolutely deny because they had specifically decided not to stand as a warrior nation. But the media seemed to perpetuate the threatening image. So the provincial government becomes aware of the situation and decides that they have to get involved in order to determine if the Mohawk people have a valid claim. But this process could take years as like we decided, it, it got, involves going back over land claims from the 1800s. Like, yeah, they're going to have to look at it from before and then determine that everything they've ever done is terrible. But anyway, so in an effort to find <laughs> resolution. <laughs> in, news, like, just, just a big, like, just, just in. We've been fucking you for literally a century. Oops. Carry on, right? Okay, so they don't want to do that. They obviously don't want to go back and look over it because we all know. But in an effort to find resolution, in March of 1990, they sent in the Provincial Cabinet Minister of International Relations and Native Affairs, John Siachi, to try to negotiate a solution. Who, according to all records, including his own words, he wrote a memoir about this crisis, which is what a lot of my research is based off of. He actually did figure out a solution within a couple of days, as I'm sure we can all see very clearly. (laughs) There was one key parcel of land that would completely inhibit the expansion from continuing. The burial ground land called the Pines. He offered to get the federal government to buy the land and give it to the Mohawk people. That way, no expansion. No need to go back in time to actually figure out who owns the land, you know? Just an easy, the feds will buy it and give it to you, problem solved. Of course. Mm. I'm going to guess that didn't happen. (laughs) Otherwise, there would be no crisis. (laughs) (laughs) Surprise, we're done. Surprise, they listened to the man and they were like, that sounds like a great idea. And then everyone went, ah, now just continue being oppressed for another 32 years. Right. Just for a little bit longer. onward. (laughs) Because nothing has changed. So, uh, of course, this is good news for the Kanasatake people. And they agreed to the solution. They were totally for it. They're happy. He came in. This is good for them. They win. So... 
John takes his solution to the mayor to discuss on May 8th, 1990, as obviously the expansion of the golf course was greedy and foolish. How could the mayor have thought this was okay? Because promptly, <laughs> promptly finds out it's uh, not actually just a plan to expand the golf course. There is an entire second phase to the project that includes construction of a group of luxury townhouses. Oh. Also in the Pines. That will increase property taxes for the town of Oka. And in order to cancel the project altogether, the mayor demands $2 million in damages, as that's what the town will lose if the project fails to proceed. Yeah, you know what else your town could lose? The fact that it's a fucking town. How about you just fucking find a new spot? That, haven't, they seen, haven't they seen a horror movie? Like, that's just bad news bears to be building anything on top of a cemetery just desecration of it is bad news bears how could you do that yeah again if you're on the side of the parking lot you're a bad person (laughs) totally agreed i'm just gonna say that so Uh, standing by that statement undeterred John Siachi, John Siachia. I don't know how to say his name, guys. I'm going to call him John. John yeah. brings his proposal to his federal counterpart, the Minister of Indian Affairs, Tom Sidon. So his proposal is to buy the burial ground to give to the Mohawk people and for the $2 million to the town of Oka for damages. So remember, that land was worth $70,000. So $2 million, $70,000. Mr. Sidon rejected the proposal because... There needed to be stable band leadership on the part of the Kananasate ah, on, on the part of the Mohawks before they would transfer the land to them. Oh. Mm. Mm-hmm. Oh so yeah. At, at this so point. <laughs> we've done something terrible. But before we're going to fix it in a way that is already kind of putting the Mohawk people at a disadvantage. Like, they're already having to, to swallow some pride, be like, fine, we will take that solution. Just do not destroy our ancestral graveyard. Exactly. And then the federal government comes in and goes, mm, yes, we'll do this. Even, like, we'll do it if you prove that you're somehow stable enough to do it. Cool. Are you going to make that asshole male mayor prove he's stable enough to do it? Because doesn't seem like the leadership of the town of Oka is that stable. Sounds like they're a bunch of greedy motherfuckers. I actually, that raises a valid point, Sylvie, and thank you. There oh, is there is something to be said about band leadership because it is controlled by the Department of Indian Affairs. That's why they want people to be part of band councils and so they make they make the nations uh, adopt these band policies so that they are still in control of the land and the finances we can get further into that based on the indian act in the future but that's Mm -hmm. what he means about band council band leadership he needs there to be a band in place and they don't want a band because that uh, also gives over control to the government and they are a nation of the people they, mm-hmm. The people decide. So they'll have um, spokespeople, but those people go back to the people and discuss what they want to do. And then from there, they make decisions. Yeah. So 
At this point, the negotiations stalled and the Mohawks extend their roadblock onto the road leading to the land in dispute, effectively barricading it off from all potential developments. So before they were on the dirt road, they let the the paved road, they let that highway go by because they were only blocking the cemetery. After the federal government rejected their, you know, agreement, they were like, fine, we're, fuck you. No, you're not doing this. And then Mayor Ouellette doubled down, publicly announcing that the project was not going to be abandoned and calling for the barricades to be removed. He eventually got an an injunction at the end of April 1990 to legally call for the dismantling of the barricades and ordered them removed twice. Both times, the land defenders ignored the order and continued to block the road. So, on July 10th, 1990, the mayor asked the Sûreté du Québec, the provincial police service for Quebec, forever known as the SQ going forward, you guys, to intervene with the protest, citing alleged criminal activity at the barricade. And the criminal activity was the arrival of other Mohawks from the warrior nation who had allegedly brought firearms with them. So early the next morning, July 11th, 1990, at the site of the original barricade, the small dirt road next to the burial grounds, where women, children, and elders were all in attendance and at ceremony, provincial police raided the barricades, initially deploying tear gas canisters and concussion grenades in an attempt to force the Mohawk to disperse. They moved in. In the confusion and chaos, gunfire erupted, and 31-year-old SQ Corporal Marcel LeMay was struck by a bullet and killed. Initially described as being shot in the face during the firefight, a later inquest determined that he had been shot in the left side below the armpit in an area not covered by his bulletproof vest. The SQ had to retreat as the tear gas they had fired was blowing back in their direction, making it impossible to continue. The land defenders maintained they never fired any weapons and invited John Siachia, whatever John, into, into their camp to see the bullet marks in the trees which they say proves that the only people who fired were those that were walking in towards the camp. In the hasty SQ retreat, they left a bunch of vehicles, which the defenders then seized, including four police cars that they crushed and used to reinforce their barricade now across the main highway. Good. 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 Fuck off then. Yep. Fuck off. You like you shithole fucking good. I, I just good. Like, I'm sorry. I don't believe in any peaceful protest situation, regardless of what it's for or who is peacefully protesting. There is no justification for using tear gas and on a peaceful group. There's no. There's 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 no room for that ever. In my opinion. Good. And then especially when you add in, it's a land dispute for a parking lot. Yes. Like, at this point, thus far in the story, everything is, to me at least, definitely uh, one-sided in terms of who's in the right and who's in the wrong. But regardless, I don't care if you are protesting because you are mad about, like, a land dispute or... I don't know, a new condo going up across the street that's going to block your view of, like, the river valley. 
are some more important than others yes but (laughs) I'm not gonna say one is the same but like out here you have a group of peaceful protesters even if I don't agree with what you're protesting if you are doing it peacefully that is within your right absolutely Mm -hmm. Nicole, what do you think? I mean, with a little caveat, unless you are flouting public health orders and therefore putting everyone else at risk. Uh, also, or like spouting hate speech about yeah. other people, <laughs> that would be... spouting hate speech, that's no longer peaceful. Agreed. Okay, awesome. Nicole, yeah. what about you? Okay. What do you think? I said good first. So. <laughs> <laughs> good. <laughs> good. Good. So all of that in the book. There's something very satisfying about the thought of crushed police cars. Yeah. (laughs) Good. (laughs) Good. Crush them. Crush them. So simultaneously, as the raid was happening, because they heard that they were using tear gas canisters and concussion grenades, another group of Mohawk at a nearby reserve, which is why I tried to get these names right, because they are so similar, Kanawake, in solidarity okay. with Kanasatake, they blocked off the Mercier Bridge at the point where it passed through their territory, sealing off a major access point between the island of Montreal and Montreal's densely populated South Shore <laughs> suburbs. This yeah. blocked about 200,000 commuters. <laughs> they achieved this by stopping cars on the bridge with guns. They stopped their cars and jumped out with guns and were like, no, nobody crosses anymore. Nope, this is it. Did I mention this bridge was a major access point? It was the only bridge out of South Montreal to the southern suburbs. To say go around is an understatement. People who lived directly south of Montreal would have to travel over 40 kilometers to get home (laughs) instead of the normal 15 Not to mention, this increased the amount of traffic on those roads. And maybe on day one, it seemed like a shock and was infuriating. But this is a crisis, remember? So it didn't just happen for one day. No, it was many days. I'm at this point also appreciating the the fact that they're like, yes, okay, so they stopped them with guns, whatever. But I'm appreciating that their form of you know protesting and like hindrance it's 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 more like a we're gonna fucking annoy you we're not gonna attack we're gonna make it very inconvenient for you like i the passive aggressive part of me not to make light of the crisis situation that was clearly unfolding but the passive aggressive part of me very much enjoys that like just inconvenience them so much and it's so much like it's not like they can't get there they can they just yeah. have to drive all the they way just around to, it's just, it, that's the thing it's not completely cutting off access somewhere it's not you know it's not making things unlivable it's not that it's just so inconvenient yep and i i truly appreciate that because like, <laughs> if I was, if I was, if, if if I was in charge of something that people were protesting against, because you know, that's how I would roll. Um, I feel like I would be way more likely. Like if if there was an individual protest against me, I would be way more like, 
fine, I will concede to your demands if they, like, you know, made it impossible for me to get to my favorite Starbucks (laughs) and, like, moved my bus stop (laughs) or, like, blocked my bus stop or, like, you know, halted my like grocery delivery like all the I'm like oh god that's all so inconvenient while you were threatening me I was like I'm mad and I'm gonna keep my stance firm but man I'm very inconvenienced and I hate it right there yes, uh, uh, they blocked off access the bridge. They blocked off the bridge in solidarity. It's not even the same people. They're just very close by and they decided to act and block off the bridge. Of course they're doing it in solidarity too because Canada's track record with uh, dealing with any sort of issue, like indigenous issue has not been great. Um, So guaranteed this other group has also had many times in their history times when they also were getting shit on like you know what i mean like it's they know absolutely they know they know so of course they're gonna stand in solidarity this particular thing doesn't affect me but that thing from 50 years ago did and like yeah so of course of course anyway continue so in retaliation the sq established blockades of their own on the roads into oka and kanasatake basically sealing them in their territory and cutting them off from basic necessities. So they were not getting food. So essentially they're sieging them. Yeah. 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 Because that's, that's an, uh, that's like an appropriate response. That's That's all on July 11th, 1990. Uh, Okay. Days pass. (laughs) Days negotiations continue and i could go into the fundamental failings of the premier of quebec the director of the sq and eventually the chief of defense but basically the land defenders were asking for the pines amnesty for involvement at the barricades and withdrawal of the sq roadblocks and officers fair doesn't doesn't sound like too much yeah fair and reasonable so as don't long- try to bulldoze our burial grounds for your parking lot and out of here. And also, you're not allowed to charge us for these peaceful protests yeah. or arrest us. They didn't want to be arrested and part of the Canadian criminal justice system. <laughs> so as, they, as long as they were negotiating, the blockades remained and there was an impasse. Days turned into weeks, and by August, there had been several violent confrontations between the Mohawk and non-Indigenous commuters. I might have skipped a page. Hold on. No, I didn't. Okay, we're good. Okay, we're good. I think so. Yeah, okay. Okay, continue. So, by August, there were the several violent confrontations. Violent. Oh, yeah. The residents of the small southern community, Shadagay, that's a terrible I'm never going to say that right sorry were most affected by the Mercier Bridge blockade just due to their placement and the bridge like they are the very they're the most uh, affected you have to look Mm -hmm. at it I promise a local radio announcer Guy Pro made some super inflammatory statements calling the public out to take their streets back and literally saying and I quote the Mohawks couldn't even speak French 
<clears throat> anyway. <laughs> anyway, so, racist radio... guy says some stupid shit on the radio. On the radio. Just like fucking all right. And then even the federal conservative MP for th- this community, the one that I can't say, Chattagay, I'm guessing. His name is Ricardo Lopez, and he repeatedly calls for the intervention of the Canadian Armed Forces to end the crisis. To get rid of some peaceful protesters because you want to build a fucking parking lot. Indeed. On a, on a, on a graveyard. Yeah. And on August 8th, he finally got his way. Oh, the Premier you. of Quebec, Robert Barassa, announced at a press conference that in accord with Section 275 of the National Defense Act, he was requesting military support in aid of the civil power to end the standoff. But why was it even a standoff, you but wonder? why was it a standoff? Exactly. I why? do wonder. Why? Because... Okay, why this would the government... I love it. I'm so glad. Thank you so much. I wanted to do it justice. It is infuriating. And we don't know about it. We were three... We never heard about this. And it happened in Canada. Did you... Like, really? We don't know about this? <clears throat> why wouldn't the government agree to the land, amnesty, and freedom from police intervention? Well, <laughs> well, the warrior nation turns out is kind of like the Mohawk military. And they have weapons. Oh, and the SQ officer that died? Well, the Mohawk were very concerned that they would not get due process, and they were, and they thought the SQ were kind of looking to find somebody to take responsibility for that death. Turns out, amnesty thing was problematic for the government for that. So, the government wouldn't continue discussions with the land defenders until they disarmed, handed over their weapons, dismantled the barricades, and left. So, basically, like, okay, okay. I can, I can understand the government being like, get rid of your weapon. I can, like, you know, I, but I, I'm a big proponent of everyone getting rid of their weapons. But I can understand the government's position saying, like, get rid of your weapons. But why the fuck would they dismantle and disperse when that's the only fucking chip they've been given? So the Mohawk people would not give up what they felt were their only bargaining chips at this point. Yeah, that's all they have. It's been fucking going on since 1868. Clearly, picking up and leaving is going to result in nothing except for a bull cherry and a fancy new parking lot. And yes, it actually was going on from 1771. I just took us back to 1868 for just like the sake of the story. <laughs> when, when, when I'm again bad with the when things happened, but when exactly did, did the first British person go, all right, this looks like good land? I don't know why I made them Australian. I'm very bad at <laughs> It was actually the French in 1771. And they were trying to, uh, they were the ones that signed the original agreements with the Mohawk people. So the government wouldn't uh, continue negotiating until the land defenders left, right? And the Mohawk people wouldn't give up because they felt it was their only bargaining chip. So standoff. Okay, back to August 8th. Premier calls in the military. How do you suppose the people react, you wonder? Oh, excellent question. I like it. (laughs) <laughs> 10,000 area residents overwhelmed, I mean briefly overwhelmed the police barricade on the fringes of the Kanawake Reserve 
and rioted in their own town. The RCMP were called in to help the SQ, but were prohibited from using force and were soon overwhelmed as well. Ten police officers were hospitalized for injuries resulting from this riot. The catalyzed residents of Chateauguay then traveled to Montreal's Champlain Bridge, creating their own barricade and blocking access in an attempt to draw attention to their plight, going so far as to burn an effigy of a Mohawk warrior while chanting, Savages. Just a stellar example of human decency. Fuck them. Fuck them. So, I put the wrong thing down. Fuck them. I'm sorry. You know, you know when it's then? Like, mm. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you know, mm. sorry. I'm so mad. She's so angry, she can't get the words out. It's good, because that's how I feel, too. It just... So you have a marginalized group of people who are looking, who are using the only tool that they've been given, which is a peaceful protest and barricading and blocking off these access points. And they have been attacked repeatedly through various means, whether you're going to call it the diplomatic, oh, we're going to talk and have negotiations, or the literal police coming in, or the military being called in. But let me fucking guess, did anything happen to those fucking stubborn motherfuckers no they were probably like yeah it is look at this it was so hard for them they had to go 40 kilometers outside their fucking way to get home fuck that fuck that it's the same fucking thing that repeats itself 30 years later when during the black lives matters protest a crazy white guy goes and fucking kills somebody with a gun and everyone's like we didn't want him to get hurt so we just let him go fuck that that pretty bananas right it's such bullshit burning an effigy of a mohawk warrior while chanting savages in 1990 10,000 canadian people got together garbage fucking pieces of garbage garbage fucking garbage anyway so mad (laughs) so The premier calls in the military for backup. How many soldiers do you think Canada sent in to de-escalate the situation? Mm, Tell me, Sarah. You'd be right if you guessed four times more than we sent to Operation Unison to help after Hurricane Katrina. That's exactly what I was going to guess. Fuck that. Oh, oh, and who did they they go to de-escalate to? Tell me. Tell me. They they had 4,500 soldiers come in and 1,000 armored vehicles. Mm-hmm. Sounds real de-escalating. And where were these focus, like the, these these attempts to de-escalate, focused? They uh, set up major roadblocks and surrounded the communities of Kanawake and Kanasateke, and gave oh. the protesters forty-eight hours to surrender before marching inwards and closing in on them. Okay, so the people who, for at this point, months have been relatively peacefully standing around saying, now nah, you can't go back here. Those are the ones that yeah. the military should focus on. Not mm-hmm. the 10,000 people who were spewing hate speech and burning effigies. Absolutely. And rioting. Like, and rioting. Not forget and the rioting. Legit rioting. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like you made the right fucking call there. So the community actually reacts pretty well to having a military presence. I mean... 
everybody except for the Kanawake and Kanasatake people. For them, this is terrifying. The, yeah. the people of Shadage are now further emboldened, emboldened, enjoying the apparent military backup for their own feelings. Within days, there is an agreement between the warrior nation and the original negotiator, John Siachia, to leave the barricade on the Mercier Bridge, but the impasse of the weapon disposal and surrender remained, and so the situation continued despite the best efforts. The Mercier Bridge defenders were scared to leave for fear of retaliation, because how can they get away now? It was just going to be dangerous. There's only one way. But it was becoming increasingly clear they had to back down. They were not going to win, and their leaders had signed an agreement stating that they were going to go, and yet they remained. On August 20th, the military took over three barricades and arrived at the final disputed area, the original disputed area, the Pines. And then on August 27th, same premier went back on provincial television and publicly ordered the army to dismantle the barricades. The Mohawk people on the Mercier Bridge obviously took this order seriously, and the very next day, on August 28th, they personally negotiated a deal with the SQ on the bridge for safe passage. But the people of the neighboring community, LaSalle, heard and had different ideas. Having heard their premier make a very public order, a large group of community members gathered and threw rocks at the vehicles leaving the barricades. Vehicles that had not only members from the barricade, but their families women, children, and elders. A Mohawk elder named Joe Armstrong, who was 71, was struck in the chest with a large rock during this exchange and died the following day. The 29th saw the Mercier Bridge barricade dismantled and regular traffic resumed, but still no resolution for the initial barricade at Oka. Warrior Nation members were still there and unwilling to surrender. But finally, on September the 26th, the 78th day of crisis, the Mohawks started dismantling the barricade and burning their weapons, claiming that they were taking the government at their word. By agreeing to dismantle the barricades and surrender their weapons, they hoped that by doing this it meant the negotiation for the Pines would continue and they might be able to negotiate for amnesty for their warrior nation members. During the surrender, and it is very unclear how this happens from what I had time to research or find, I'm sure somebody knows what went down, but somehow... During surrender, on the way out of the surrounded Oka camp, a 14-year-old girl by the name of Juanique Horn-Miller, who was carrying her four-year-old sister, was stabbed by a Canadian Army bayonet and nearly died. But she didn't die. She went on to become an Olympian, only the second-ever Mohawk woman from Canada to compete in the Olympic Games on the water polo team. They didn't medal, but she does have a gold from the Pan American Games in 1999. Good for yeah. her. Right. <clears throat> so the golf course expansion that originally triggered the crisis was eventually canceled. The land under dispute was purchased from the developers by the federal government for five point three million dollars. Initially, the municipality, or should we say our friend, Mayor Jean Ollier, refused to sell the land until the Mohawk barricades were dismantled. And even after they were, he still tried to hold out. But he finally agreed after the government threatened to expropriate the land without compensation. He okay. was re-elected in 1991. <laughs> of course he was. And has said of the crisis that his responsibilities as mayor required him to act as he did. Oh, oh, yeah. 
The Oka crisis motivated, motivated the development of a national First Nations policing policy to try to prevent future incidents and uh, really brought Native issues to the forefront in Canada at the time. Like, we might not remember it because we were very, very, very young, but anybody who was our age at that time would have been aware of what was going on. We don't know how they would have felt about it if they were on the parking lot side or the burial ground side. But nowadays, I hope we can all assume we're on the burial ground side. I think, well, I think it's safe to say we are on the burial ground side. <laughs> I don't, I fear that there's still quite a few people who would be on the parking lot side. Me too. But those are garbage people who I don't associate with. So. For the Mohawk people, the crisis may have started as a reaction to the threat to their land. But it evolved into a declaration of sovereignty and trying to gain recognition from the Canadian government as a nation. They were unsuccessful, just like every other First Nations has been unsuccessful. But they tried. And that is the end of the Oka crisis. So maddening. That it happened in Canada? That it happened only in 1990? That it happened in Canada, that it happened in 1990, that I wouldn't be surprised if I heard this exact story in six weeks. Like, you know what I mean? Absolutely. That in that time, nothing has really changed? Absolutely nothing has changed, actually. The new mayor in, like, the year 2016 made some disparaging comments when they were... um, somebody had gifted land back to the Mohawks and I, I say that like please gifted land back to them <clears throat> it it was it, all it was all their land we don't have the right to gift anything but apparently we're gifting it back to them and the current mayor said something like uh well I hope they just don't or no he said it to the chief he said it to his face well I hope you guys just don't use it as like a dumping grounds or like set up cigarette shacks or marijuana shacks I was only like five years ago so I don't know I don't really feel like anything's changed what is wrong with people why why are so many people just so garbage why I don't know, Nicole, what do you think? I'm just thinking of like, because it wasn't that long ago where we had the barricades of the uh, railroad. And there's even Ferry Creek right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> where they're protecting the old growth forest. And then there's uh, Line 3 down in America right now, where they are stopping the Canadian company Enbridge from replacing their pipeline and this is the thing though it always gets me they're like well we already have a pipeline there that's leaking so we need to fix it by putting this new pipeline down (laughs) it's like maybe just stop using i don't know like just stop doing it (laughs) like just stop using it i just oh god i had never sorry you go Oh, no, no, no. Go ahead. I had just never heard of this up until um, recently because it was the 32-year anniversary or whatever. 31-year anniversary. 
just last uh, month. And I'm like, oh, what is the Oka crisis? What is this? And as I read about it, I'm like, what, a burial ground? This is over. A- really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I. But I mean, it shouldn't surprise me that we hadn't heard about it because that's kind of like a, a go-to move. <laughs> yeah. You know, just uh, push it down push down anytime we were in the wrong about the government as a society just push it down and um never happened never and then leave that for some fun discovery for someone many years later to be like wait what but the people that are there have been living with it from then and we don't know the trauma that they have like there is a lot more that I didn't get into like so 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 much more you guys I'm so sorry the people that got arrested from this and were beaten up and the three the cops that were involved in the arrest were charged but it took so long to charge them that they were already retired by the time they got charged yeah that's that and also, how does a 14-year-old girl end up getting stabbed by a Canadian bayonet while she's holding a four-year-old? Like, right? Also, what? not the important thing to focus on, and I'm aware of that as I say it, so feel free to judge me. Um, why the fuck were they using bayonets still? The army. Like, I know, but like... I know the Canadian military is not like the most advanced military, but it's not 18 dickety two. Yeah, well, it was 1990. Apparently, bayonets are still a thing then. I are don't they know. still a thing now? It's possible. I don't know why I'm very... I, that, it's, that is a very confusing thing to me. Mm. Not the most important thing. Not the thing to focus on, but it's there in my head. I just don't understand how the community after this could ever go back to like, or ever evolve to like respecting indigenous people there with how they reacted and behaved, showing their plight. Oh, the plight of the commuter. Yeah, right. I must burn an effigy of this savage who's just trying to protect their land. The problem is that it, it all just comes down to like it's no you can't like it all doesn't just all come down to you can't you can't you can't explain you know institutionalized racism in a here's the simple way this is why but like it all starts from the fact that the media is immediately portraying them as the aggressors yep you know immediately making it seem as if this is like a hostile you know takeover of land versus you know hey there's this situation there's a protest happening yeah they weren't even consulted they're just protesting by blocking this dirt road and setting up a camp here and that's Mm -hmm. that's the problem that they have and then they block their food so they couldn't get like basic necessities to the camp oh that's like wow the Canadians did that that's a reasonable reasonable equal the the two things were equal like you know we made the commuters on like you know just have to go longer so we're gonna cut off access to to food basic necessities yeah totally the same 
Yeah, we're, we're the same. Siege, we we're gonna do siege tactics in mm-hmm. in the nineties. All because the federal government guy wouldn't agree to buy it for two million seventy thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. Which, again, I think that's just like an added fuck you. That at the end, the you know the the, the town of Oka offered. You know, in, in their very generous way, we'll offer you $70,000 for this land. No, no. They were selling it to the development company for $70,000. Oh, I okay. I That's where they get the value from. <clears throat> they assumed ownership of that land the same way that they skimmed it the whole time and mm-hmm. uh, sold it to the development company that then sold it back to the federal government for an inflated price of $5.3 million. And you know who got none of that money? I'm going to guess the Mohawk people. Yeah. 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 Gross. It's a, it's a gross. pretty gross story, right? Also, there was, uh, this is not like verified by any stretch of the imagination, which is why I didn't mention it earlier. But there were rumors that the SQ corporal that was killed in the uh, attack was actually investigating, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Corruption on the SQ force. And uh, he shouldn't have even been up at the front lines because he was a corporal. And uh, he was shot from the side, which would, uh, you know, lead you to believe that it was. And we don't have any ballistic evidence uh, or we don't have access to it. So I don't Mm. know. Oh, nobody was ever charged in his death, but they had a very public funeral, huge processions. People from all over America came like New York. They walked down. They had a parade for him. Yeah. Well, they had to. He he died. The parking lot from, you know, the the aggressive tactics of the warrior nation. Yep. Fuck them. Sorry, I just I don't even have a lot to say because it just really makes me mad. I'm sorry. I wish I could have a better story that would make you less mad at the end, but there, this is not no, but it's, one it's, of those. It's an important story. It's an important story. It just makes me mad. See, and it's and it's just it's one of those things like it contributes to part of the picture of how we treat our our Aboriginal people here in Canada. Because I mean, we had Attawapiskat, um, where the Red Cross had to come in, the International Red Cross had to come in to Attawapiskat in Canada to, um because they declared a state of emergency and it was just poverty driven in Canada in Canada Um, we have all the recent um, residential schools uh, discoveries where the children who in the unmarked graves are being rediscovered Um, yeah we just have ingrained racism here in Canada that we need to face and we need to work on. And yet the leader of the RCMP 
I can't remember her name. I should look it up. She very blatantly has said and flat out said there is no systemic racism. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But that's so. Hi. I feel like you should maybe ask who are on the other side of that if they feel like there's systemic racism because they're they're the ones who are gonna know because they're the ones who are dealing with it yeah yeah just a thought i don't know absolutely oh no this was a good one sarah yeah does it make you upset i'm sorry yes but that's okay it's a good kind it's a good kind of upset because this is something that we weren't taught and it is something that we i think like our generation has to work on because things aren't going to change unless we change it Mm -hmm. i like it that's true and maybe we can start by if we are minorly inconvenienced by people who are uh, protesting something that they feel is very important maybe we could just uh, deal with our minor inconveniences yeah or better yet join them yeah (laughs) i like it better yet go hey you're here because you're trying to raise awareness for something what is it that you're raising awareness for ah i understand what you're saying and i can see why it's important to you while it may not be something that affects me personally it is an important thing so i'm gonna join you and not by taking over your own bridge and burning an effigy while chanting savages. But in the French yeah. way, which was like sauvage, but I, I can't say it, so. <laughs> sauvage. Yeah, no, you're not right. Oh, well, and, let, and let's not forget, they also rioted. So chances are they, were, they looted their own town mm-hmm. and caused property damage in their own town. A lot of property damage. Hospitalized 10 police officers. In their own town. Mm-hmm. So... Like, it isn't just the fact that they did um, a horribly racist act. It's the fact that. But, and it goes, again, though, goes down to it. What were, the, what were the consequences for those people? I would like to know. There was nobody, like, nobody needed to sit there and try to negotiate for their, um, like, for their freedom after doing that. Nope. No one needed to negotiate on their behalf because there was no consequence. They just went home. And it's something that we see repeated over and over every year. There's going to be something. It's not always in Canada. Sometimes it's in the States. Sometimes it's in the UK. Sometimes basically it's everywhere. But <laughs> you see basically anywhere where there are white people. Uh, but you see it happening again and again. Like... And and it's it's so ingrained that like you'll have people ma- and people who truly making for example comparisons saying ah yes well the January sixth insurrection on the U.S. Capitol was pretty much the exact same things as the Black Lives Matters protests and you're like but like not at they all weren't. like but no no they're not. They're not the same thing, but you're going to justify the supreme acts of like crazy violence and 
nutsoness by saying like by basically being like oh it's the same thing they also did it but also it's not that bad and there's not going to be any hugely lasting consequences for most of the people involved like what but like there should be <laughs> they broke into the capital they they broke in <laughs> this is, what they tried to stage a coup and it no should consequences happen. Yeah, and the, okay, so there's going to be a huge military reaction to, you know, some people standing on a bridge with some guns, granted saying, nope, you're not allowed to cross here, but fine, there's going to be a huge military involvement in that, but, like, people losing their shit and rioting and burning effigies, no, no. They're not allowed. They were just so frustrated. Yeah, well, at their increased commute their time because it was 78 days of inconvenience. Of inconvenience. Yeah, I'm like, but the people who are also just peacefully standing there with their barricades are also very frustrated on account of you trying to bulldoze their burial grounds for a parking lot. Again, these oh. things are not the same. Well, and can you imagine if it was uh, somebody that came and was like, hey, we're going to take this Catholic cemetery and we're going to build a park parking lot here. How upset people would be. Oh, yeah. It's just. <sighs> Fuckers. Yeah, I'm sorry. I get loud. And no, I like it. I appreciate it's what I need because I, I feel that way. It just makes me so angry. It's not fair. It's so not fair. And they are so. Um, right honorable like even when they have guns did they shoot anybody no the fucking psycho normal not normal people take that out the fucking psycho LaSalle community members killed a 71 year old by throwing rocks at them stoning them in 1990 yeah in in Canada I'm sorry what but you know what the reason why we keep having that in Canada thought is because we're not taught this we're not like it's so easy to be like what in canada no not in canada because we don't talk about it Mm -hmm. so that when you do hear one of these numerous things that happen you go what in canada no not in canada until you're like 37 36 i'm not 37 yet stop trying to age me when you're 36 years old and someone says it and you go oh yeah in canada yeah that tracks because you had like your entire like 20s just shattered every time you hear something like that but by the time you're in your 30s you're like "Uh uh-huh yeah yeah oh they did they called them savages you say Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and this was in quebec okay yeah it tracks yeah. 1990 okay fair yeah fair. But it all tracks cool 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 and the mayor in 2016 said basically the same thing cool 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 yeah, cool, yeah. Cool, 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 cool. a bayonet wait yeah i'm <laughs> sorry was it 1868 was that like <laughs> are you sure she wasn't are you stabbed sure? historically yeah like did did you perhaps flip back on a page like I, I understand, I've been thrown off by bullet points. A bayonet, and literally no story about it. They everything is just like yes, as they were surrendering, a fourteen-year-old was uh, stabbed by a Canadian bayonet. Like, 
How? But yeah, what a how? What I a do have to. Life. I do have to wonder, in the age of social media, um, how the Oka crisis would have been different if it had happened today. Just because you have social media and they have the ability to to talk their own. Like if they had people who were on Twitter, people who were on Facebook, would yeah, it have been worse? Would it have been better? It does change how it does because, like, look at look at um i mean not that it really but fixed a lot of the situation in terms of it still kept happening but like look at watching the entire like you know summer the summer before watching the entire blm movement go forward and you could like you know you couldn't deny that the acting brutally because thousands of people were posting it live as it happened Mm-hmm. So you'd be like, no, I just watched that cop go up to that guy on the bike and like punch him. Yeah. So it does. It does. I guess not that it necessarily fixes the problem or helps, the, like helps anything, but it does make it so that other people kind of see it. I guess. Yeah, it, it adds to the discussion, just like Nicole said, when you talk about it, you have to talk about these things, you have to see these things in order to, un- as you might have said it, in um, order to understand that they're happening, right? Like in Canada, we're surprised, but it's just because we don't know and we're not taught and we just yeah. are taught this shiny view of how beautiful Canada is and how great everybody wants to be here. And then you find out they're all a bunch of bitches. Yeah, well, and it's and it's one of those things, and I ha- I often have a hard time kind of, um, I guess merging these two thoughts because on one hand, I will say there's a lot of things about this country that I love. Absolutely, you know? there's a lot of things that I know I am very lucky to have been born here, and there are. <laughs> I guess I'll add a little asterisk as a white person. Um, <laughs> But, like, I am very lucky to have been born here. I think there's a lot of things that Canada does really well. And that Canada does really well on, like, an international level. And there's some really great things about this country. But, fuck, there's a lot of shitty things. And and it's so easy for so many people to be like, yeah, but it wasn't me. Yeah, no, you're right. It wasn't me. I didn't do it. I did nothing about that. Like, I didn't cause But that doesn't mean I'm not benefited benefiting from the fact that it happened and it doesn't mean that people aren't still feeling the effects of all of this shit that have happened and it doesn't mean that it's not in some form one way or another still happening Mm -hmm. like you don't need to be personally responsible for it to be complicit in it here here yep I agree. Uh, that's why I say it's our generation's job to to change this. And we do it by talking about it and by saying how horrible it is and feeling really upset on their behalf. And uh, then but hopefully... Then also, fucking... Like, if you're, if you're that upset, if you are truly upset about it, yeah. reach out. Find different ways you can learn about it. Find, like, teach yourself teach others like when you are talking with someone and they make a comment that you know is not right like if you happen to be sitting there 
with your boss and a new a new Oka crisis comes up and they're like fucking savages say something it's also like, important to to look at the policymakers like mm-hmm. to to vote hold in people who yep to hold people accountable mm-hmm. hold people accountable and you know what while you're at it i'm going to go ahead and say it while you're at it support that community in whatever way you can and if what that way you can do it is making a point to support indigenous artists and real like realtors i guess you could also support indigenous realtors i meant to say retailers um, <laughs> but also realtors but you know what i mean support that community absolutely yep because no nothing i do or say is ever going to fix like the past that hasn't but you know what mouth is and put your time where your mouth is and talk about it and support the community and don't just even if it's more comfortable to put your head down and ignore when you hear something or see something happening fucking don't and with that we end our uh, discussion on the uh, oka crisis Our next episode will be about Ed and Lorraine Warren and we'll be here in two weeks time. We're taking next weekend off. We hope all of you guys have a wonderful day.